Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. My wife called me. She was like, hey, the house is on fire. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, it's just a little thing. And I looked up and I'm, I'm, you know, 10, 15 miles away at the time. And I look up and I can see smoke. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy we're fortunate if you wrestled, because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back my time, I spent wrestling. If they gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Brian Medlin is our guest today, ladies and gentlemen. I can't tell you how excited I am for this interview. Medlin is the head coach of the Illinois RTC, and before that created a high school dynasty at Washington, Illinois. He's been one of the top Greco coaches in the country. He led Team Illinois to 19 national championships. Um, along with many others, but he was really instrumental in creating the Team Illinois dynasty as well. This guy is the, a coach's coach. No ego involved. This is just awesomeness here all around, folks. That's all I can say. Let's get to the interview. Before we do, fan of the week goes to Jesus Munoz. Appreciate you supporting us on Instagram and all the tags. Thank you again, Jesus. Folks, if you want to support the show, please subscribe to our text messaging service. To do so, text the word WRESTLE to 22454. Again, text the word WRESTLE, W-R-E-S-T-L-E, to the number 22454. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to the episode with the great Brian Medlin. Brian Medlin, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. It's awesome to be on. Love your stuff. Thank you. Great to have you. My favorite moment of the year so far was the tweet where you were saying uh, biggest travesty of 2000 is that you haven't been fan of the week. So that's made my year. And so it's great to have you on the show. Finally. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was just kind of wondering what, what the process was because I, I knew I'd listen to all of them and just, you know, and I think it was, I think it was actually your mom getting it. It just, that was it. I just snapped that day and <laughs> I was like, there's no way she's as big a fan of the show as I am. And maybe you, but not the show itself. So yeah, I love it, man. That was funny. And, you know, I always saw you around at the tournaments, um, was kind of intimidated by you for a lot of years. Same with Mike Powell. Then I met Mike. I'm like, oh, he's not so bad. And he was telling me about you. And so I'm glad we're finally on here. I have so much to talk about. Let's get right into it. One of my favorite things I've heard you say most recently was that not even favorite things you said, but just stories is your kid's first wrestling tournament period was in Russia. How in the heck does that even happen? So last year, um, I kind of talked his his teachers into letting letting him come with us for a couple 
I think we ended up being there for like three and a half weeks um, to Vladi Kavkaz in, in North Ossetia. So, um, you know, he did all of his learning online and, you know, it was, it was awesome. He's just kind of getting into the sport and I'm not a big proponent. I've seen it. I've seen it ruin kids, these, these like tournament after tournament and just all the pressure and, you know, the parents start questioning if they're, if their efforts being validated or whatever. So um, I, I hadn't had him wrestle a tournament at all. He'd been practicing for a few years and, and uh, we were driving around over there with one of the other coaches. And, you know, he said to me in Russian, he was like, does your son want to wrestle in a tournament? And so I turned around and my son didn't know what he said. So I, I just kind of was like, yeah, sure. This is probably best case scenario. He's going to just slide right in. No one's going to know him. There's going to be no pressure. You know, it's just going to be a great experience. And he's going to kind of remember his whole life. So uh, the weigh-ins were, were pretty interesting. It was just kind of chaos and, you know, guys just went in and you weighed in and it was just whatever you weighed, you, you went that weight, you know, there was no kids cutting weight or, you know, crying. Actually, there was no parents at all. It was just, it's kind of mayhem. It was just kids running around with cards and, you know, stuff like that. And then they just left. So I don't even know how they got there. Or anything, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that we, we went there, weighed in the day before they set all the brackets and uh, got to the tournament and, you know, he warmed up with, he had kind of been training with this team that kind of took him under his wing and, you know, warmed up with a lot of those kids and just kind of running around. There wasn't any parents there. Like I said, there were, there were a few maybe in the upper echelons. It was like a Wednesday or something like that. So it wasn't like a what? parent. Yeah. It was, it was just kind of during the week, uh, you know, they had, they had their Christmas break was, was pretty long the, the way their Orthodox religion allows for like a three week break there in, into the middle of January. So it started and, uh, you know, his bracket was on on kind of one mat. They did it real similar to, to America, you know, just kind of keep kids in the same area, you know, keep them corralled a little bit. So, uh, you know, I, it was, I'll never forget it because they were like, I heard that them say his name and, and, and then they said American champion like afterwards. And then they shut down the whole tournament. So, so I went from, he went from having no pressure to the, the whole tournaments watching him. They shut down all the mats. All the kids went over from the entire tournament. were just surrounding him, you know, waiting for this great American <laughs> champion from, from, uh, from America to wrestle. So he goes out there and, you know, he doesn't know the rules. He doesn't know shot clocks, things like that. And he's like in on a leg and he's, he's getting like cheap tilted for, for points. And he has no idea that it's even happening. So he gets, <laughs> gets himself down in kind of a hole and, and there's no, uh, there's no scoreboards. It's just like a, uh, one of the ref or one of the coaches, coaches ref those tournaments. There's no refs they bring in or anything like that. There's no arguing calls or, you know, so you, you walk over to the table maybe and just kind of try to glance at this guy's paper to figure out what the score was. But it just, it just creates like just offense, really, to be honest. I, I think that's a cool thing. You know, kids don't know the score. So you could be ahead by a little or down by a little. And, you know, unless you're just dominating, you know, chances are that you better just go score again. So he hits this like fireman's with like, I don't know, short, short time. And I don't know if it tied the match up or not, but they gave it to him and the crowd went crazy. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was a pretty special, it was a pretty special moment. I know he kind of, you know, I don't think he would trade his first tournament for anything, but I was super nervous. 
<laughs> I was super nervous because I just didn't want him to go out there and feel a bunch of pressure and end up losing and, and letting that affect his passion for the sport. And, you know, I think at some point you just got to let your kids go. But, you know, I was kind of wanting to control that first tournament experience and he ended up with a great one. Ended up making the finals, won a couple more matches. Um, you know, just had a great experience. So is he like, like good, good, like putting American terms on like IKWF placer or like, like I have no that's idea. incredible. I have I no mean, idea. I mean, he wrestles with some pretty good kids. So, I mean, he just hasn't, he hasn't wrestled any tournaments for me to gauge it. You know, I, I think, uh, I think I'm just kind of, you know, hopefully I'm doing practicing what I'm preaching and I'm letting him just, you know, steer the ship. If he wants to be great, he's going to, He's going to have all the resources he needs. You know, I, I, w- I want to provide it for him. I want to, you know, make a path in case he wants to pursue the sport. But if he just wants to do it for, you know, for the good characteristics it builds in you, you know, that's that's also that's also something I, I, I want to be able to, to support him in, the, in that, you know, and not yeah. push him too hard to, 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 to stick to a certain agenda. So. Well, the reason I asked if he was quote unquote good or not is that North Ossetia, that tournament might've had five Olympians in there. You don't even know about it, you know? Yeah. No, for little kids though, their, their little kids are different, man. It's, it's a different, their progression. They don't look at it the way we look at it. Like their, their, their fifth graders aren't determining if they're going to be Olympians. They all think they're going to be Olympic champions. Every kid that practices over there and they've got, you know, they've a, a hundred times the American you know, youth system, they've got, they've got those numbers. So every one of them knows and has great heroes that are, that are, you know, from their neighborhoods that were great wrestlers. So they, they think it's going to happen. And then, you know, they just, they don't, they don't wrestle the same. They don't wrestle to just win, you know, they don't wrestle to, to, to validate their parents' efforts or, you know, whatever else they're, they're going out there. And the the guy that has the best offense kind of won the match. And, you know, there were several times where, I clearly thought one guy won and they raised the other kid's hand. And I think they just forgot which guy won and nobody complained. It wasn't like that, you know, you had crazy mom running on punching the ref or, you know, something like that. Nobody, there was no fights, you know, the kids club level is just what it's supposed to be over there, which is just about developing kids into great wrestlers, you know, or putting it in front of them to where they can develop themselves into great wrestlers. So, and you said the, uh, the amount of, people that are at wrestle over there is obviously a lot more um i looked up vladi koskov it's like three hundred thousand people or so um and what you said there's this gyms all over town huh kids are just wrestling like crazy yeah it's just it's their kind of national sport you know freestyle wrestling you know they end up you know they say they're not very good at greco but they had olympic champ you know (laughs) pretty recently so so they're just good at, at those combat sports they've got good boxers they've got you know good judo players sambo wrestling you know they their 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 society is a, is a culture of manhood you know so they look at that those like combat sports is like this is how i prove i'm a man this yeah. is how me going out here and me competing against another person and where it's will and effort and everything else um you know they 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 hold those stand those in really high regards the team sports not so much you know where you have to kind of go out and be one-on-one with somebody else they you know things that are great with wrestling that we, we know, and we understand, they just have a bigger understanding because everybody wrestles. There. It's state sponsored. So nobody pays anything to go to these tournaments, um, to go to these practices, you get, you know, a free practice with, and look over and there's a, you know, couple time world champs taking off his shoes. You know, that's, that's pretty special for a kid. And it, it obviously steepens the development curve a little bit. 
Well, I mean, if you look at Russia, everyone looks at this massive, massive country, and certainly there's wrestlers all over, but a lot of the great uh, quote-unquote Russian wrestlers are from the Caucasus region, which is Ossetia, um, and then you have Dagestan, which is the Islamic region down there. But both of those two spots are the real hotbeds. How did you end up getting acquainted with these folks and going over there so regularly? So I had kind of been going to Russia since... I don't know, the mid nineties. Um, I went over there first to St. Petersburg with a, a coach of mine in the Marines. Um, and then just kind of kept in contact with the, the guy that was over there um, in St. Petersburg. And I was actually going to go to St. Petersburg about uh, the first time I was, went to Roddy Kafkas was about seven or eight years ago. Um, and the guy just said, Hey, if you're going to come over here for, for Greco, come to St. Petersburg. But if you're going to go for freestyle, go, you know, find another place in the caucus region. So I just kind of started reaching out to people and, you know, it was a long process. It, it took, I don't know, it went five or six layers deep with people. And then I ended up meeting a guy named uh, Akshar Ivanovich. Um, he's was an old Belarusian coach and, you know, he's from there and, you know, he developed a guy that was living in Chicago at the time um, was Lithuanian and just, I started developing a friendship with him just kind of, you know, organically through, you know, wrestling and just, he's a great person and just kind of a kind of person that I kind of wanted to be around. So, um, you know, I started talking to him and then it just kind of went from there and went over there for the first time. I only took a couple people. Um, each time I went, I've really only taken a couple people with me. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty special. You know, that guy's pretty much like my family now. So, I mean, he's, his kids are my kids and my kids are his kids. And, you know, it's, it's pretty special to have that relationship. So. Well, I heard you talking to uh, Mark Bader, you know, about this topic and how you talk to this guy every other day now at this point. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, not to the uh, letter of the word, but you talk to him a lot, you know? Yeah. I, t I talk to him probably once a week, you know, he, he will text me about, you know, what's going on over there. I mean, obviously they're, they're pretty concerned about what's going on because they get uh, stuff from the media. So they think everything's in everybody's <laughs> writing and there's tons of pandemic everywhere and everybody's going to die. And, you know, they, uh, they have to check in with me. I think I'm their fact checker now. So him <laughs> and the rest of the coaches just, you know, they, they're, uh, they get, they get the false information a lot. So yeah, I do, I do get to speak to them quite a bit, you know, his problems would be kind of come, you know, my problems as far as, you know, being able to help financially and, and, you know, things like that. They're, they're not in the spots that we are, you know, we, we obviously were born with a lot more and we just, it's, it's what we have. So we don't really understand, you know, what it, what to struggle looks like. So how do you um, mean, you know, it's, 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 it, there's also a reason why, you know, those countries like the caucus region, that's a hard place to live. You know, it's a, it's a hard place to live and, you know, places like Cuba and, you know, places like that, that develop these, these great wrestlers out of poverty. You know, it, there's, there's definitely a correlation between, you know, being able to just wake up and get whatever you want, as opposed to being able to wake up and you gotta, you gotta fight and struggle. So like it, it lends, it lends itself to, to making a great wrestler. So so, I mean, when you say that, you know, the struggle we have is different than theirs. I mean, is it, is it a poverty um, or is it just like uh, limited opportunities because of the situation they grew up in? I mean, how does that, how do you see that when you go over there? Well, they look at wrestling as a way out, you know, mm -hmm. when you're Olympic champ, you know, world champ, I mean, that's going to be your ticket. You know, that, that when you do that, you're going to be a coach, 
you know, you're going to get, you're going to get a good stipend. You're going to get on the national team. You know, people are going to give you a car or a house, you know, you know, it's, it's a way out where, you know, our struggle for our kids, it's, you know, there's so many things that they can do with their time that are a lot easier than wrestling. You know, it's, it's getting them to intrinsically want to do something hard, you know, and then that's, that's difficult to do. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think either one of them are more difficult than each other. I mean, you fight when you have to fight, yeah. but our kids are being asked to fight and they don't have to, they could just sit at home and play video games and, you know, do stuff like that. And that's a, that's a whole nother issue you've got to deal with. So <laughs> I don't know which one's more difficult. It's interesting, you know, every, like you said, everywhere you go, you have your own problems and you know, that's kind of the foundation that these kids have grown up with. Um, and anytime I interview someone who's grown up in, in that system or one of the republics, the thing that they always say is that coaching over there is a respected profession and that you can't just have a dad off the street as a coach. You pretty much have to be a world team member to coach. Yeah. It's not, not, not necessarily a world team member, but you have to be a lifelong coach. That, that, that there isn't, and, and that's an issue with the American system is that even guys that wrestled in college, you know, they'll come back and they'll coach their kids, kids club, and they'll do some great things. And then maybe they'll follow that kid to high school and then they'll do some more great things. And then the kid leaves and you never see him again, where that person had a lot to offer. You know, their system is a little bit different is that they have lifelong coaches. And from what I've saw and um, you know, the, the coaches that these athletes seem to be connected to the most aren't world champs. They're not two-time Olympic or three-time Olympic champs. They're coaches that started that kid off. You know, that when, um, you know, Sadakov's personal coaches at his, at the practice, you know, they seem to have a connection that's well past wrestling, you know, and, and they believe in each other and they know each other. They're, they're both vested in the interest of Sadakov's success, you know, almost to the same extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, that's a, that's an attribute that, that, we've got to continue to strive for here in, in the United States is just getting people to invest in wrestling longer, you know, and not just when it just fits their needs, you know, and I feel like that's, a, that's, that's something if we, if we attacked it the right way, we could do, we could do a lot better job at it. Well, it goes with one of your tenets of you know, your goal is to make lifelong wrestlers. And one of the things you said about the first time you went to Russia you know, you grew up in Peoria and a lot of people there, you know, we're from central Illinois. It's a workman mentality, get the nine to five and just suck it up. But you, when you went to Russia, you go, I didn't know if I was allowed to love wrestling this much. And it kind of gave you permission to really love wrestling. And that was something I've, I've been thinking about it ever since I heard you say it. What did you mean by that? And how did that transpire when you went to Russia? Well, I, I just, I didn't know wrestling was that big. I mean, being from central Illinois, I mean, to be honest, like, I didn't have the the same things that are out there right now as far as exposure goes. Like I just didn't know. Like I would read those those USA Wrestling uh, newspapers that you would get, and mm-hmm. I would just I would love it, and it just seemed like a different world that I was so far m- removed from. My my dad wasn't a an athlete. My uncles weren't athletes. You know, we uh we're we're from a very blue collar family. You know, and we're work ethic and working hard. That's goes above everything the more, more than touchdowns or takedowns or whatever so i i didn't know wrestling was that big and then i started traveling overseas in japan and got to go to russia and some different places where i where wrestling is huge you know and you have these giant populations of people that just love it and i was just man i can really make this into my life like i can it's okay because i've always i always kind of felt 
a, a kinship towards it. But at the same time, I was always in the back of my mind hearing my, my father and my uncles and everything else. It's just a sport. It's just a, it's just a game, you know? And, and I think it just gave me permission that, Hey, this great big population, you know, it's making it part of their life. And, you know, it's okay to, it's okay to get into this thing and, and make it who you are, you know, let it develop you into a better person and develop you into the kind of person you want to be. Man, that's, it's so cool that you, I mean, you had that opportunity to see that and that was all through the Marines was your first time really getting exposure to that. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the Marines, actually, I wasn't even on the team the first time I was in, uh, I was in Japan and I was just kind of sightseeing, um, on my own and went to this giant Buddha outside of Tokyo and was just sitting there in the sky, saw my cow fire and ended up being one of the national coaches for Japan. I just feel like, honestly, like thinking about it, I've led a pretty blessed life that like just these things happen, you know, and not, not just happen, you know, they, they, there were opportunities that I was able to kind of take advantage of. And then I, I got to know him and his family and, uh, you know, we'd go over there for Sunday dinner and, you know, it was just, it was an awesome experience. And he took me to all the national camps and practices and things like that. I would meet him on the weekends. So that was kind of my first big eye opening experience. And then from there, you know, getting to go to Russia and Sweden and Finland and places like that, you know, and it was, uh, it just took off from there. You know, I, I knew that this was, this was a great sport and it had some great lessons and, you know, I wanted to kind of pass them on and, and take them in. So, well, you're definitely in, you've said this, you're a, a, a true coach and you, you treat it as a, a craft. Um, and you've got to study these, these, these national teams. And as you said, you were in Tokyo for upwards of six months. How does that system compare to what you've seen when you go to Osetia? Um, I guess the, the difference I saw, like just with, with the little things that they did, there was a lot more like the idea of practice. There was a lot of respect. I mean, not that there wasn't respect in Russia and America and everything else. There's really, there's some like idiosyncratic, like little things that they do, you know, like I'll say, uh, I didn't know for the first couple of times, this guy was coming up and he kept shaking my hand before practice and he would like bow and then he would leave. And I was just like, this is a friendliest guy I know. And then like three like three days later, like three practices later, the coach comes over and speaks American English. And he was like, yeah. uh, you know, that guy's getting upset because he keeps asking you to practice with him and you, and he keeps <laughs> you keep, uh, turning him down. And I'm like, I didn't know what he was talking about. Like that whole like double handshake, you know, trying to be lower than you, you know, I started to kind of learn their traditions and things like that. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, they they bow a lot and, you know, there's just, there's a, there's a lot of respect and a lot of really cool things and they're, and they're inventive. Like I'll say like, it was one of the most inventive type practices where people were in there and they're just trying stuff and, and not just trying stuff, but just with, without a purpose. Like you could tell they put some thought into it between practices and they were developing new technique. And, you know, they were, they were at the time, Japan had some guys that were really good in parterre and top and I saw them develop it. It was, it was pretty cool watching it. Has any of the countries you've been to put as much emphasis on weightlifting and strength training as we do? No, not really. I mean, strength training in kind of a different way. You know, I think they're, they're very consistent. Um, you know, speaking of like body cop guys, they're, they climb ropes like crazy. They do pull-ups like crazy, you know, and they're starting to get into some weightlifting and things like that. In Dagestan, they've got a lot of like outdoor gyms. Um, they're starting to get a little bit more into, I see their videos. They've got, circuit training and things like that but no one trains the way we train 
as far as just specific weight training. I didn't see a lot of people heavy deadlifting, squatting, you know, things like that, you know, and, and I don't think it's wrong. I will say like, I don't think that they would spend as much time doing it as opposed to getting better at their craft of wrestling. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of their, their mentality. The more I spend time lifting weights, I'm not getting my single leg better. So, but we are, it seems like our bodies hold up pretty well. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, with the high level of, of understanding of how the body works and strength training and things like that. But to your point, it's just a different strength. I mean, I've seen videos of, of Kudakov, rest in peace, obviously. He can do a muscle up. He can, you know, on the rings. It's like a gymnast up there. And I'm sure Gilman could do the same thing. But I just think there's different, um, and maybe he couldn't, but I'm pretty sure he could. There's, But there's just different levels of the strength and the flexibility, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's it's something that when a, when a guy grabs you, you understand this guy has muscles that were developed in a gym and you have muscles that were developed, you know, over time doing things like, you know, gripping things that are heavy and lifting yourself off a rope and things like that. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's definitely a different kind of strength, but, you know, and I don't think we're doing it wrong. I just think that there's, you know, something to be learned from both. Yeah. And it, just to kind of close the loop on this subject, you've been going so long and I know you're very analytical. So you probably have sheets worth of things that we're doing wrong and they're doing right. But if you had to just kind of look back on the past 15 minutes of our conversation, whether it's the kid tournaments, the training or just the mentality, what are, what are a couple of things that we could do right now to improve our game in your opinion? Um, you know, obviously at the, at the kids level, I've been, I've been very, I've watched it really closely and, and thought a lot about it. You know, I think, I think two of the things that we touched on just now, you know, the first, first thing is, you know, just taking results out of the equation earlier, you know, especially when kids are first started wrestling and everybody says it, but nobody applies it to the sport as much. You know, I think having a kid look at, Hey man, you're scoring points in matches. You know, you're, 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 you're going out there and you're trying stuff. That's a success, you know, not, not, Hey, did you win that two, one match? Or, you know, you gotta, you gotta get tougher and meaner and everything else. You know, that's, there's, there's a time and place for that, but skill building at a young age, that's instrumental. And I just don't think we, we teach kids how to win way too early and we don't put enough emphasis on the actual craft of wrestling. You know, and I think there could be a, you know, there could be something learned in that. And it takes a while. It's not something you could do in a three month sport. You know, that's one thing about every, every one of those countries that are doing really well. I mean, their development is year round, you know, they start in, you know, when they're young and once they're into wrestling, they're kind of into it forever. You know, there is no season and, you know, kind of back and forth and it doesn't culminate into this giant tournament where there's tons of pressure. And then they take six months off. I was at actually at their, at their place when they had their cadet regional tournament and, you know, their best cadets were there the next day, you know, mm -hmm. then maybe weren't, you know, going live, but they were there in the next day talking about their practices. You know, I see a lot of kids, you know, once the state tournament's over and I can be up or, you know, wherever else you, you don't see them for four months sometimes, you know, sometimes a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something we could do a lot better than, and just being able to create, you know, lifelong, coaches and you know people that are involved with wrestling you know it doesn't even have to be a coach but somebody that's involved with wrestling that you know like like you're doing you know you're you're changing 
you're changing a lot of people's perspective on wrestling with what you're doing. You're not on a mat every single day, but we need people involved with wrestling and, you know, helping to continue to grow. And I think we're on the right path, but we just, yeah. we got to get everybody all hands on deck as much as we can. Well, I appreciate that. And it means a lot that you even listen to the show. Um, one of the things I was most curious about you is how did you get involved with coaching essentially? So I know you placed fifth at state, I think in like 94, you went to the Marine. I only know cause my man, Jesse Montes, who was one of my high school coaches, he was in, uh, I don't think he was in your bracket, but Genesee had a squad back then. And yeah, like Brad Shinowski, do you remember that guy? Yeah, man, I do. I yeah. Do. He, he, uh, but I mean, that's also one of my favorite times of Illinois wrestling. You had TJ Williams, Tony Davis, you know, Ben Yen. That's just a great time to be in Illinois wrestling. So you go, you join the Marines. How do you make the jump from that to running Team Illinois and all the Fargo stuff and being like one of the staples in the mid-2000s? Well, I think, uh, you know, a couple of things. I was, I, was, I was in the right place and I kind of met the right people that spurred my passion for, for coaching, you know, I, I would, I would be at the training center training or, you know, would, would go sneak into the freestyle practice and watch it. You know, I, I was, I was in places where there were great coaches. So I was able to, able to watch it. And one of the, one of the things that I, I thought a little bit about the fact that like, I wasn't great, I wasn't a, a great wrestler, but I think that's allowed me a little bit to step back. Cause I don't have an ego about what I've done. You know, I think a lot of great wrestlers don't end up becoming great coaches because they kind of get stuck in the fact that like you have to do things this way because I this is what I do. You know, and I and I think you get a little bit closed minded. And I've always been able to kind of have an open mind because I've got no background. In music, <laughs> you know, so but I I uh, I was able to kind of learn some leadership skills and, you know, things like that. And in in the Marines that that I was always kind of interested in. And I think just spurred me to understand, you know, this is another domino. This is someplace you can go and you can impact lives in a great way. You know, you don't have to be in the Marines leading people in the front, and, you know, taking charge that way as you can make an impact. And, you know, I've always kind of had that desire. And, you know, I think it's, it's been a good, it's been a good fit for me for my life. It's just being able to be a coach and be able to be impactful. And I find purpose in it. I mean, I think a lot of the guys who have wrestled for you would say the same. And a lot of people have told me before this, who I've reached out to how much of an impact you've made, but it seems like one of the big turning points for me was like 2007, you were still an assistant at Washington, right? Yeah. And that was like the year you guys didn't have any qualifiers. And then the next year you took over, I only know cause that was my senior year in high school. Um, but anyway, so 2007, my senior year, I'm getting ready to leave and do whatever you're sitting in the stands plotting. And then you take over as head coach the next year. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, for a lot of people who know you as, as the team Illinois guy or the Illinois RTC guy, you know, you took over a team in central Illinois, Washington that never, you know, really didn't do much of wrestling before that. And then after you were done, they had won the regionals like seven or eight times, won state a couple of times. And I mean, how many times did you guys take second at Montini? Oh, we, it was like our, our, uh, nemesis, but we weren't really <laughs> nemesis to them. So, uh, <laughs> It just, it just mattered like when we met them, like we were going to be out of the state tournament in the first round or second round or whenever. So I think, uh, you know, yeah, they were, it was, it was hard. It was hard watching him. He, he does a great job with that program. Oh and I God. think, I think he's part of it. You know, a guy like Izzy watching him coach, you know, I think that that was part of the, part of my progress um, is just, 
being able to watch and see people that had great programs. I think a couple things happened right about then. I met Mike Powell um, that ooh, summer. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's 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 awesome. And I think uh, you know, I I once again kind of knew found out there's whole new levels to coaching. You know, watching him and the way he he was able to get his guys to compete for him, and you know, was able to to get guys to rally around a certain cause or whatever. You know, there's a craft in that, and he's he's one of the best. So. Being able to to be around him and being able to you know see that there's more more to coaching than just showing a single leg or whatever you know and uh, you know I I kind of always wanted to be more than the wrestling coach to kids you know I think that that was that was something to get them to buy into a program that actually made a difference in their lives so I think building that first building that program and that culture was was huge. You know, and having good people, I had a great assistant coach who's the head coach now, Nick Miller. He was he was young and we didn't have kids at the time, so we could just go and just wrestle all weekend and, you know, be at, stay at the school till 10 o'clock every night and get there at 5 o'clock every morning and just do that over and over and over again and just kind of get kids that were good enough and, you know, that, that wanted to buy into your culture. So what was your was, first was impression when you saw Mike Powell walk around practice just screaming at the top of his lungs, man? I thought he was a giant blowhard, to be honest. Like I, I, it was funny because I was actually at, I was coaching a kid from like central Illinois. It was my first kid I ever coached really. Jeff Bybee um, was kind of around him, not, not doing too much, just practicing really kind of one-on-one. And he went to his, went to one of the state tournaments, whether it's freestyle Greco, I don't remember, but I remember watching Ellis and Tony Ramos wrestled in the first round of this tournament. And I was like, holy cow, I couldn't believe how good they both were. And, you know, I actually sought Mike out because I wanted Ellis to practice with my guy because I was like, that guy's he's, he's special. Like he's just, he was mean and dirty and gritty and just athletic and just had everything. I thought this guy is going to be what he's, what he's become really, which is, you know, a world caliber wrestler. So and went up to Mike and, you know, just from there, from that, I think from that day on, I think we've talked, you know, a couple times a week and I've been, I've been lucky to be on the, on the end of, on the end of those conversations. Dude, I remember Jeff Bybee. He lost a finger in a shop accident, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Unbelievable. And then, just, and then he just developed new ways to grab things. It was yeah. awesome. Like he would do, he would just figure out new grip ways and, you know, things like that. Yeah, he was pretty special. He was yeah. awesome too. So you, this all kind of happens during that time. And one of the things I want to know in a very simple way, like how, how did you change the program so quickly? Was it the kids club starting? I mean, was it year round? I mean, I know some guys moved in later, like Randy Miniweather, who was a kid I, I used to know, but kids weren't moving in right away and you were still having success. Like how did, what happened? Yeah, no, I mean, the, the big thing is the year round start. I mean, we, we never, even when I was in, in, in high school or, you know, not even, I didn't know anything about summer wrestling or anything <laughs> like that, but like we, uh, we didn't have those resources. So we just, we would go, you know, from the time I got there until the time I left, you know, and it still happens now is that it's just, they look at it different. They look at the sport a little bit differently, that it's not just the sport, that it's a way of life. And then, and then also, you know, they, they started, we started to gain momentum and get a little bit better. And you take pride in that and the fact that they're building something great, you know, and that they were the first ones, you know, and they kind of wanted to be that first group, you know, and there were some, there were some interesting characters on, 
on those first two teams that were that weren't great wrestlers, but you know they just gave great effort and were just awesome to be around, and they just kind of fed off each other. So I think just being being year round. Yeah. Well, it's something where if you're not from Illinois, you don't really get, but you know, South of I-80 is kind of the demarcation line of what some people consider good wrestling and not. And I was right on the border and a lot of the tournaments we went to were in that, you know, where you're from, you know, so we're pretty much from the same area. So it's just so unique to see a central Illinois dynasty kind of come to fruition. And, you know, you, you did that for many years. You guys were battling OPRF, you're battling Montini. One of the things that happened that I would just love to get your kind of your thought process on was when you were coaching the day before a big duel with Oak park, you got, you actually had a house catch on fire. Uh, it was your house. No one died, but your house was burnt to the ground. Um, and I'm not just asking for the wow factor. I want to understand how you got through that, but how, what happened, I guess. And then we'll, we'll kind of talk about how you processed it. So, yeah, I was at, I was actually setting up for that duel. Um, it was the, on the 20, I think we were dueling on the 23rd and the house caught fire on the the 22nd I was just I was leaving school I had just we had a big uh duel like in an auditorium it was you know we put a lot into it it's a big fundraiser for the club and and for the team and everything and my wife called she was like hey the house is on fire and I'm like thinking to myself like it's just a little thing and I looked up and I'm I'm you know 10 15 miles away at the time and I look up and I could see smoke like 10 or 15 miles off in the distance you know Illinois is pretty flat yeah so and it was just kind of crazy making those turns on the way home. Just every turn, you kind of turned away from it and then you went to it. And so by the time I got there, it was just, it was completely engulfed. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was surreal. You know, it just, it was just an electrical fire that started in our garage. Um, it was an older house and just, mm -hmm. yeah, you get there and you start to kind of realize that this, you know, this, these things I've been telling these kids for years, you know, like, Hey, you got to be tough in these moments when, you know, everybody's looking at you and need your need you to stand up and be a man and blah, blah, blah. I think I just given some speech like that in the past couple of days and I get there and like my wife and kids just have these giant eyes and, you know, they were just like looking for something, you know, positive for me. And, and I think I was able to kind of draw on those experiences and, and lead our family, you know, in the way that wrestling's taught us. So, well, you was, you had said even in a quote that you went from like self-pity to how do we solve this right away? But I think a, a lot of people get stuck in the self-pity for days, if not months and years after something like that, it could be a fire, a death, whatever. I mean, and so if you had to look back, how, what enabled you to get through that so quickly? Uh, or if someone's listening to this and they're stuck, you know, holidays are a tough time. Um, yeah. how, how do you get out of that? That self-pity? I think it's the same way. Like if you look at a big tournament, you know, we talk about this and just equate it back to wrestling is that, you know, if you try to win a big tournament, there's, there's tons of things that have to happen the right way. Like you have to, you know, you have to travel and there has to be, you know, figure out how you're going to get there, what your weight's going to be, what you're going to eat the night before, what, you know, there's the, if you made a checklist, there's like a thousand things you got to do right to yeah. actually win that tournament. And I think like, that's really what you do. You don't really look at like, Hey, I want to win this tournament or, Hey, I want to build a new house, you know, or, Hey, what do we, you just look for one thing. Like we didn't, for us, it was, it, I can still remember it. It was, it was toothbrushes. Like that was, that was the thing, you know, like, what do we do? Well, we got to get toothbrushes. Everybody's got to brush your teeth tonight. We got, we had a, you know, where, where, what, what do we, what do we need? We need toothbrushes. We need soap, you know, things like that. You know, obviously we, we had a place to stay because my, my mom lives pretty close to there. So we knew we were going to stay there that night. And I think you just build from there, you know, and you just, 
you just look for that next right thing to, to do or to get or to whatever. And, you know, it, it it's pretty easy to kind of, you know, feel sorry for yourself and to get down and, you know, think about what you've lost or what, what's at stake or whatever. But if you just kind of think about it and break it down into little pieces, they're, they're manageable. And I think everybody kind of understands that it's just, it's just hard to do in those moments where it's just, it's chaos, you know, like there's a blazing house in front of you. It doesn't have to be a blazing house. It just has to be something's in front of you. It's hard to take a breath, calm down and, and do the right thing. But that's what this sport has always taught us, right? It's just, it's going to get crazy. The fans are going to yell and the close score is going to be way closer than you want it to be. There's going to be overtime, a bad call. It's going to put you in overtime. Take a breath, take a deep breath, get back to the basics and just do find one right thing to do right away. And I think that that was the key for us. And, you know, it, it worked. So. Toothbrush. That's what it, that's what it's a starting point. It's like something you don't even think twice about. Now it's, that's what you're getting to, you know, that's your yeah. end goal. Yeah. But I mean, how many great matches are won with just a collar tie? Yeah. Just the way the guy's making contact, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not special. It's not, you know, very, doesn't need to be this great, big, elaborate plan. It just can be simple, like make contact lower than him, you know, change your level. Yeah, man. It, it, but things like that, it's just, I mean, thank God you had a family and had money for a hotel. If you stayed in a hotel, like what if you didn't have any of that, you know, what if you had no family and you had no money in the bank and you were just stranded out there, you know, it just really makes you appreciate it for what you do have. Yeah. And, and that was where probably the, I think the biggest factor is we, we had people that cared. I think all those years of, you know, staying with these kids and going up to their, you know, to meets and taking them to this place or, you know, being a parent for them if they, if they needed one or being, you know, a sports system, if they needed one, you know, that's when they came back to me, you know, and, and I couldn't have, I couldn't imagine doing it alone, you know, but for, for us, we're such a tight knit group, the wrestling community, it feels like when something bad happens to one of our own, we just, we fight to get to be the people that's, that help them. So, um, you know, I think if you're just, if you're involved in the sport, you're not alone. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, I guarantee you're not alone. You had teammates and you had coaches and you had people that care about you. Absolutely. Ah, that's awesome. Now, switching gears a little bit, you're at the uh, University of Illinois right now. Is that right, Huff Hall? Yep, I'm in Huff Hall's basement. I tried to go, try to do it in, in the wrestling room, but uh, it was a little bit noisy in there, so. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. And, you know, it's very exciting for Illinois fans to have you there. I mean, what's going on right now at Illinois is really exciting, especially last year, some of the momentum with the duels, you got the bra nagels in there. How did you come to this position and what is your, what's your primary focus right now? Uh, my primary focus, I coach the regional training center guys. Um, so like our, our senior level athletes that are, that are trying to make world and Olympic teams. Um, I'm not really sure how I came to, to the job, to be honest. Like, <laughs> or why'd you take uh, it? I guess what got you excited about it? Cause I'm sure you had tons of offers before that. I mean, why'd you, it just, it felt right. Well, it was the year of that fire. And I think, I think oh, a, really? lot of, a lot of my focus that, that it was the next year, it was 2018 or 17, whatever okay. year that was. Um, you know, I think I, I took a step back in, in, you know, especially when I saw how powerful the wrestling community was and things like that. And I, I knew the, the guy that was the assistant under me, he needed to be a head coach. So it was just easy to step back. That, that ship was running itself. And to be honest, like I, I wanted to do something else great in wrestling. And I knew they needed somebody in here that was going to be consistent. They were kind of starting from no athletes, no money, 
and that you kind of had to build something. So that excited me. So that's, that's why I took it. I'm still not, I'm still a little confused that I don't want to like ask why they hired me and just to make sure that, you know, I'm still, uh, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still here. You know, I, I just feel lucky every day. I, I at first I would, I would come in and I'd just be like, scared I was going to do something wrong and get fired because it's so it's such an awesome job so it's, I love it it's awesome that someone like you still feels imposter syndrome because there's no way you should be feeling imposter syndrome based on uh what you've done but it sounds like you still feel that even a little bit you know even adults feel that I guess yeah no I I definitely feel it you know I, I love this job I, I definitely want to do a good job and and be able to kind of leave leave something better you know for for the next next person so I think you know, Illinois has always had great freestyle and Greco. And I think being able to have a place that they know they can, they can get what they need, whether it's going to Ossetia or going to Hungary or, you know, wherever we'll go to the end of the earth to make sure our guys get whatever they need. So speaking of the great success Illinois had at the age group level, no one gets more excited to talk about Illinois dominance at Fargo and the junior duels than me. Um, and for folks who are listening, Coach Medlin's been a part of 10 national dual championships and 19 Fargo national championships. But I also hear some folks out there saying the only you guys, only reason you guys win is because you send more kids. What's the, can we settle this right now for any folks in PA or Ohio listening? It doesn't make any sense because they only score all Americans. So if you're bringing just your 10% best and we're bringing our 30% best because it's, to be honest, we still leave some guys at home or some guys don't go because they go to college or whatever. Um, the way they score, it just it leaves no question. Like our best is better than their best in freestyle and Greco. I can't say the same as for folk style. I mean, yeah. that's something our culture has got to kind of change a little bit in order for us to kind of make those next leaps, I think, at the youth and, and, and development levels in folk style. But as far as freestyle and Greco goes, like you still look at it like we're very dominant and just it's, it's the way we wrestle too. We don't wrestle on the mat a lot. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of things that kind of go into it. Plus, you know, our kids look at it as a badge of honor to be a part of those teams. You know, I think that that's a, that's a big thing. And those duels, you know, it was, it was awesome to be on those and being around them because, you know, I'm seeing the same thing happen here. You know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the same, you know, the same guys starting to fight for each other. And, you know, a lot of our starters, the majority of our starters, nine out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, a lot of last year were from Illinois that all wrestled together when they were young and they're starting to fight for each other. And it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to see them compete for each other, hold each other accountable. You know, it's, 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 it's something that's growing into something that's going to be special. So well, people have long wondered why the, high school freestyle and Greco success doesn't always translate to college All-Americans. Not, not even if they're wrestling for the University of Illinois, forget that. Just looking at the numbers, I think we're like eight or ninth or you know, somewhere in the sixth range, but it should be higher to a lot of people in Illinois. I know you feel that way. I do. A big part of that is the in-school, you know, keeping the kids in state, right? And I know that's a huge focus for you guys. Um, one, one guy I wanted to hit on who doesn't get a lot of press, Coach Heffernan, uh, has been there a long time and he's put up some in- incredible stats. I mean, the dual wins um, and just what he's been through from his days back in Iowa in the eighties. I mean, what have you uh, picked up or learned or just kind of taken away from him from working with him? Oh, I try, I try to kind of listen anytime he says little things. Cause he's the kind of guy when he talks, he's not going to say a lot. Like he's not going to be that coach. that's going to you know pound his chest and be like, I did this. I did that. So when he talks, it's usually something pretty important. It's something that could change your, 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 your current trend 
So I think being a good person, you know, he's, he's awesome. in the fact that like, when he's invested in his guys, it's a lot, it's life. Like they're, they're in his life for the rest. He's going to be at their, at their weddings and he's going to be the first top five to congratulate them when they have a kid and, you know, things like that, you know, just wrestling's bigger than just the sport itself. Just how many, like these guys know coach haps in their corner, whether they won that match three to two or lose that match two to three, you know, obviously he's going to be more happy with the, with the win, but at the same time, that just takes away the anxiety of, you know, I have to win to keep this guy, you know, around, you know, and I think being consistently there for them on and off the mat is just something that I've just been in awe of. And it makes me want to be better at it, to be honest, you know, not caring as much about success right now, as opposed to, you know, how they're going to live the next 50 years of their life. I think it leads to success now because everybody's bought into the same ideas. I want to fight for that guy. You know, I think you listen to these guys that graduate from Illinois, half's their guy. You know, he's, he's the guy that's going to, going to be there for him. And they're going to be there for him. They reciprocate pretty easy. I hear the guy's got a moral compass. That's unshakable. I try, I try, I I try to listen to the right people, you know, I try to (laughs) listen to podcasts like this and and try to keep my ears focused in the right direction. Well, let me hit you with three, uh, three quick questions, coach. And we'll let you get on with your day. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. First one, how electric was Imar versus JB when he took him to three matches? The the second match was really the first match. I mean, it was the first time when they were walking up there, I knew Isaiah was going to win. Like I, they're wholeheartedly, he had prepared like crazy and just, I just felt, I mean, even talking about it right now, just feeling my neck hair just growing. Like that's the, I started sweating. Like I knew I was about to witness something special and just, the physicality, what he went through to get there. And then what he did while in that match, like I I remember like I had my hands on the, on the canvas while I was coaching him. And when Jordan would shoot, they would bang heads. And because you have to, you have to get your head down in front of JB's shot or else he's going to get to your legs. And he's so good at scoring once he's there. So you have to down block and circle. And And I could feel the vibration on my hands. It was like two bulls just, just smashing into each other and just, the courage it took for him to wrestle the mat, those matches the way he did. And just, you know, he was right there. He was right there. I was so proud to be part of, part of that. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, some things go a little bit differently, you know, there's always that could have happened this way. could happen. I think he wins, but, you know, I think, uh, yeah, it was just special. It was special to be a part of that, you know, watching him do something that not a lot of people have done in the past. So it's like when Ali talks about when he fought um, Frazier, it was like how he felt close to death. I mean, you got to imagine at those three matches, those guys were pushed to the limit. And, and JB's fight, he just will not quit, even when you think you got him. No, he, he's, he's, and that's, I, I watched every single Jordan Burroughs match on the internet. I'm not kidding you. Like, I watched all his high school matches, every college match, every, wow. every international match. It was my, my, my YouTube thinks I like, I have a fetish. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Like maybe they've called the, the <laughs> FBI or something and put me on some watch list. Um, but I mean, the thing is the, the more you watch him, it's just, it's awesome because he's, he's like a once in a generation type athlete. And the fact that like, you can't make a mistake, not one. You, uh, you, the, 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 the formula to beat him's out there. Like if you pay attention, the formula is there, but, you have to do that for six minutes with the pressure of a hurricane on top of you. So, I mean, 
he he's pretty special and just knowing knowing he's still he's still at it and still doing special things is, is pretty impressive. And knowing you watch that much, JB, I know you've watched some Sitikoff matches. He's one of my favorites right now. What do you take away from those matches when Sitikoff's dead to rights with like five seconds left? I mean, it's not dead to rights. <laughs> so I counted Sitikoff made contact 52 times with his left hand the first time they wrestled. 52 times he made contact with his left hand, either pushing away or clubbing. But the thing was, he didn't take his outside step, which is his best shot, until times 48 and 52. So he scored, he scored them, Burrow scored with like eight seconds left. And I can remember watching the match thinking, he looks too calm. Like he doesn't even look phased by it. He knew Burroughs was going to raise his right hand when he reaches with his left because Burroughs is expecting the same color tie that he gave him, you know, 48 other times. So he, he knew he was going to get in and get one more attack. And, you know, you could kind of see his, his personal coach, like the Russian coach kind of has his head down after Burrow scored, but his personal coach behind him still had confidence. I think maybe him and him and his personal coach were the only two that, that knew what was about to happen, but it was a chess match. And, and that guy, he doesn't do things special. And he does the, the things he does are, are very simple but the special thing is about him is he, he never wavers from it. He does those things with such discipline and, and effort that he's hard to wrestle. It's hard to wrestle. Man, he is inc- he's just another guy. He doesn't look like you mean stand up next to each other. You think Burroughs is going to kill this guy. Yeah, he's small too. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't cut a ton of weight. He wrestled 70 kilos. He just, I mean, he's, he's pretty tiny. I mean, to be honest, I mean, for, for the rest of the guys he wrestled, but that's part of it. He knows he's got to wrestle hard. He's going to, in order to do his style, he's going to have to wrestle hard because he's not going to go in and have that athleticism of some of those guys that he's going to wrestle. So he's going to have to outpace everybody. So having that condition and being able to kind of go in, I think the lack of cutting weight helps him out. Is he, do you ever see him around when you go to Osetia? Yeah, every, every time. So I, I watch him quite a bit. You know, I, I watch him train, um, you know, he, he grabbed my son last year and was kind of messing around with him. It was, it was pretty cool. He's, he's a good dude. He, he actually worked with Zane Richards, another guy that we have here. He yeah. worked with him for about 20 minutes on a, on his single leg, you know, just kind of being open and being up front and, you know, helping Zane out was, was one of the reasons I was like, man, this guy's, he's a good dude too. So. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. Last question for you, coach. I know you watch a lot of film. Who's someone you've watched like the most film on that many Americans might never even heard of, or is there someone you go back to the well and just study all the time? Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like everybody kind of with the internet, everybody watches everything. You know, I, I, I don't think there's probably anybody that I watch that's special from, from anybody else. Um, you know, like, are you watching this, all the Russian nationals, every match, that kind of thing? Yeah. I watch every match. Wow. <laughs> so I, if I miss one, I usually go back and watch it, rewatch it, but I've been doing that for, to be honest, like even before flow and before some of these other places, they always had, they were always, live stream it just was on a youtube channel or somebody's phone up you know in a corner or something like that <laughs> it's been going on since like 2013 2011 you know things like that so you know i, I was able to to kind of search the internet and learn who had the best video and, <laughs> and things like that so i try to watch every match but you know i think quarantine to be honest like i i i was able to kind of go back and start watching some older americans and man you know, Lincoln McElravey is somebody that I had just fell in love with the past nine months. I've, I think I've watched all of his matches on the internet. So, I mean, he's just, 
he's so fun to watch. His attack rate was so high and he just never took a break. And he just, he was somebody that was just somebody that, that I don't think I really watched too much of prior to that. You know, I always knew he was good and, you know, did some, did some great things and I would see a match every once in a while, but he's one I definitely have put a lot into the last nine months. So. Him and Agali had some battles, man. Crazy, crazy. Unbelievable. Lincoln was, oh my God, I love that guy. Um, I used to have a headgear with a pad in the front because that last year. <laughs> and my mom's like, you know, you've never hurt your head, right? I'm like, I don't care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't that's matter. That's what the cool guys wear. That so like, yeah. I mean, this is probably before the era you're watching, but him versus Jerry Abbas might be one of the greatest comebacks greatest. ever. In- no, for sure. It was the it was one of the best NCAA finals of all time, you know. And I mean, it just I like people that attack. They're obviously they're fun to watch, but at the same time, like just the confidence of, of knowing you're still going to win when you're down, like the, the emotional struggle that goes on in those moments. And he was able to overcome it. And just, it's special, you know, watching that. And you see it all the time. I mean, he wasn't unique to it, but he was definitely somebody that was in that, in that genre of people that just don't know how to quit. Man. And he was also in uh, the other, one of the other crazy finals matches against Marinetti on the flip side of it, you know? So he's seen the highs <laughs> and lows of it. Yeah. Marinetti's awesome. He's, he was like, they interviewed him once and they said, uh, so what did you, what did you think when, you know, everybody was booing it? Cause it was in Carver Hawkeye. Yeah. Like everybody was cheering for McElroy. And he goes, he goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I thought everybody was cheering for me. <laughs> <laughs> so well, just hearing him say that and be like, yeah, you know, being able to kind of talk yourself into thinking when I'm in on this leg, everybody's cheering for me to get this score. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. You got to not, Sometimes you got to not listen to yourself real closely. So. It's like you're at Carver Hawkeye. He's going to be maybe the first four timer or, you know, Pat had just done it, but you know, right there and the guy thinks they're cheering for him. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Love, Love it. it. Coach Medlin, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for your time, sir. Tell Wes Cathcart. I say, what's up, man? That's a Geneseo boy. Hello. I'll see him tomorrow. Okay, man. Take care, coach. Thank you. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.